following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
to interrupt in some manner so I could not speak with you. Let's begin today just lifting our hearts to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I trust you, and I trust what you're doing today. And I'm asking in your mighty name that you would open the way before us. Lord, there is such a critical crisis happening in America right now. We're right at the verge of a great financial collapse of poverty and famine coming upon this nation. Things are not going to continue as they have been in the past. Lord, I pray that as these events unfold, your Holy Spirit will come in mighty power and many will be brought into the kingdom. Oh, Lord, the kingdom of God, your kingdom, Jesus. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. I didn't want to miss today's broadcast. I just have an urgency in my heart to share this word with you today. We'll begin in the book of Acts. The message today is about the true test, which is divine love. Divine love is the true test for the Christian of everything. And Jesus is speaking with his disciples after his suffering, after he has shown himself to the men and women that gather in his name. They now have become convinced that he is alive. And he now takes the next 40 days to fellowship, to eat with, to teach his disciples that they could understand what the kingdom of God was all about. And in the midst of this, as they were eating together, he gave them a very clear command. It was a command that was being repeated from another occasion. Pardon me. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oh, they knew about the Holy Spirit. They knew the stories of the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came upon a man or a woman, gave them the ability to do miraculous things in the name of the Lord. Gideon, who defeated the Midianites with his trumpet and with his torch, and other great stories of deliverance as the Holy Spirit came upon a man. This was not a new idea. But now this baptized, that's a new idea for them. Now, they knew about John baptizing in water, and they knew that to be baptized because of John the Baptist meant to be plunged under the water, all the way under the water. It didn't mean sprinkling, and John didn't sprinkle people. He plunged them under the water. He baptized them. But to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, 
They're not quite sure what that means. He's not saying he will fall upon you. He's saying you're going to be plunged into the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at today. When I was just in my training in the seminary studying for my Masters of Divinity, I went to my favorite professor and I asked him, Prof, would you tell me what does a pastor actually do when he is out working in his pastorate? And this dear man sat back in his chair and he looked at me with a wry smile. And he said, you know, Ray, I really don't know what you're supposed to do out there. Everything is shifting and changing. He said, today they're talking about pastors as being coaches and chief executive officers and program managers. That wasn't how it was when I was in ministry. When I was a pastor, our job was to proclaim Jesus and bring people to the cross. I don't think that's the modern job anymore. He said, you're just going to have to go with the flow and figure it out as you go. But one thing I can tell you, you're going to be very, very busy. In fact, you're going to be so busy, you won't know what to do. Well, I was assigned after graduation to my first church where I was an intern serving under an older man for one year. And after I was settled in the house and ready to start, he said, Ray, why don't you meet me tomorrow morning at the office? Let's get together at nine and we'll start our day's work. And so at nine o'clock I was there and he had a stack of Bibles and he had a stack of of Bible study lessons. And these were from an organization called Voice of Prophecy. Now, Voice of Prophecy offered free Bible studies. He said, we're going to go out to all of these leads that we got from the Voice of Prophecy. We're going to knock on the doors, and we're going to talk to the people, and we're going to ask them if they would like to have the Bible study series that was spoken of by Pastor Richards on the Voice of Prophecy. I said, okay, let's let's go try that. So I went out with him, and we would knock on the door, and sometimes there would be someone there, sometimes there wouldn't. But by noon, we had only found one person who, want, who would accept our Bible study lessons. And so... The senior pastor said to me, Pastor, I'm going to give this to you. Now, every week you're going to come back, you're going to grade the lesson he's done, and you're going to give them the next lesson. Okay. So we had lunch, and we started again. And we spent the afternoon trying to place Bible study lessons in the homes of people. And as we were riding back to the office where I could pick up my car, I said to my senior pastor, Don, I said, Don, is this what you do every day? Is this your job? 
And he looked at me with a question. He said, why do you ask? I said, we didn't accomplish anything today. He said, well, how can you judge that? We placed two lessons with people. I said, you placed two lessons. I said, what, do you, what are we going to do tomorrow? He said, well, tomorrow we've got a bunch of hospital calls. So the next day I met him again at nine and off we went together to the Bethlehem Hospital and to the Allentown Hospital and to a couple of other hospitals. And we visited three or four people that day who were in the hospital. And we'd go in and he'd say, Pete, how are you doing today? Well, I'm I'm getting better. Surgery went okay. So we'd chit-chat, and he'd talk to them about the weather, and he'd talk to them about their farm. He'd talk to them about their work, and then when we were all finished, he'd say, well, brother, let me pray for you before we go. And so he'd bow his head, and he'd say this rote prayer. On the way home that afternoon, after we had finished the last hospital call, I said, said, Don, is this all you do? You hand out Bibles? And you go visit people in the hospital who don't need a hospital call. You didn't talk to one of those people about Jesus. You simply chit-chatted with them in a casual manner, and then you prayed for them. You peddled prayers all afternoon. Don, is this the work of the ministry? And he looked at me in absolute frustration. He said, what are you talking about, Ray? Of course this is the work of the ministry. I said, well, man, I don't think I can spend my life doing this. Maybe I've taken the wrong call. He said, no, no, give it some time and we'll work it out. Basically, that was how he viewed the work of the ministry. Now, today we've become a little more sophisticated and most people, most pastors don't spend their time handing out Bible lessons to two or three people a day. They're still visiting in the hospital for Mary, who has a sore toe, and for Jacob, who broke his arm, and and so on. We're supposed to be comforters of some kind. But most of the work of the pastor today is either friendship evangelism where you make contact with a person, you become friends with them, and then slowly you build a relationship, and you have lunch with them, and slowly you build a relationship at the health club or wherever you're going, Starbucks, wherever you happen to be, you talk to people, you become friends, and then you talk to them at some point about Jesus, called friendship evangelism. The other way that pastors are functioning today is doing marriage counseling, uh, running programs, um, raising money. It's institutional ministry. It's uh, writing newsletters. It's keeping up with people on the Internet. It's talking with your leadership. It's coaching. It's not... It's... How do I say this? 
we raise $20 million and we go build a beautiful youth center, or we go build a beautiful gymnasium, or we set up a, a daycare center. And now this daycare center becomes a profit center for the church, also a ministry center as volunteers work in the daycare center. Hold concerts. I'm sorry. None of this is what I signed up for. None of this is what I signed up for. The institutional church in America is basically dead. And so pastors are trying to reach Washington, D.C. with these wonderful institutional outreaches and sitting with their staff and strategizing for how can we win more people to Jesus? What are the programs we can institute in our church? How can we train people to witness? But they're not effective. And if I test these by the the test of divine love, they fall far short because... For the most part, they're not transforming the city or touching the culture. So what is a pastor supposed to do? How do we function? And so I come back to the New Testament. Jesus is speaking, and he gives them a command. This is found in Acts 1, Acts 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The problem is, none of us have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we have to come up with institutional strategies or personal friendship strategies to try to win people to Jesus. Or we try to go out on the street and pass out tracts. And in all of this, a few people are reached. Praise Jesus, a few people are reached. But the deacon, Philip, went into Samaria. And there he began to heal the sick. And the whole city was abuzz with the work of God. And and many, many, many people were quickly brought into the kingdom of Jesus. I remember my my dear pastor, senior pastor, when I was an intern, I loved him. Uh, Don Stefan was his name. He was pastoring in Allentown, Bethlehem, where I was interning. After our first hospital visit, we went in and we saw a man who was in the hospital. And as we were leaving, I said, Don, can I ask you a question? And by this time, he was already a little bit defensive with me. He said, what's your question, Ray? 
I said, I don't understand. As we were going into this, as we were going into this, um, this hospital, why didn't we stop and pray and ask Jesus if he would raise this man up from his sickbed? Do you have oil with you? Oh, yeah, I always carry oil, he said. Well, why didn't you anoint him with oil and pray over him and raise him up out of the sickbed? I mean, it would have turned the whole thing on its head, and people would have been excited, and Jesus' name would have been lifted up. Why? Why didn't you do that, Don? Well, he said, I... I didn't do that because I can't do that. I said, why can't you do that? And he said, I I couldn't do that because I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, well, Don, why don't we just stop all the pastoral work and why don't you and I invite the whole church to come together and begin to wait before the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because that's what Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Don turned to me, and he looked at me very soberly, and he said, Ray, if if I were to do that, I'd get fired. Everybody called the conference office, and I'd be, I'd be history. And you would be too. We've got to think about our families and we've got to think about the church and we've got to maintain the ministry that we've been called to. I said, Don, are we are we just hirelings? Are we just hirelings? I was extremely troubled by what Don said. Now, I look at this, this passage of Scripture. Can I say this very kindly? The king has no clothes. The church has no clothes on. The world sees it. The pagans see it. They see that we have no power. They see that we have no passion. They see that we're an institution like all other institutions. And self-preservation is our number one goal. And how do we meet the budget? And how do we grow the budget? How do we build the church buildings? How do we... It's not what Jesus was concerned about. Now, as as Jesus was speaking to them after these 40 days, earth could no longer hold him. And he slowly began to be taken up into the sky before their very eyes. And then a cloud received him and he was gone. 
Now, you would think that he's gone, and that must mean that must mean that they better go fishing. They better go back to Galilee and get their businesses under control and take care of business because Jesus is gone, and they're now left on their own. But Jesus had been speaking to them for 40 days. And then angels were there, and they said, men of Galilee. See, everyone who was there was from Galilee. They said, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And so they they acknowledged that, and they turned, and they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Now, Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And there were 120 people in that room. So evidently, other men and other women not named were a part of this holy assembly before God. And now suddenly the first church begins to function. Now, please understand, Peter did not go fishing. He didn't say, hey guys, come on, let's go back to Galilee. It's over for us in Jerusalem. No, Jesus had said, you wait here because I'm going to send the paraclete, I'm going to send the helper to you, and he's going to be to you the same thing I am to you. Now, please, just work with me a minute and tell me if I'm being out of line. But if Jesus was with these disciples for three years, and he taught them, and they watched the miracles, They watched him preach. They watched the crowds coming. They watched the sick being healed. They watched the dead being raised to life. And now Jesus says, I'm leaving, men. I'm going back to heaven. But I'll come back again at the end of the age. But but don't let your heart be troubled because I'm going to send to you the counselor, the comforter. I'm going to send you the paraclete, the helper. And he is going to be to you exactly as I have been to you. He is going to teach you. He's going to reveal more than I have revealed. He's going to teach you what I've not been able to say to you. Now, please understand, this teacher is going to come and he's going to be with you. He is exactly like me. That's what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit was exactly like he was. An exact duplicate of Jesus. Except you wouldn't be able to see this this Holy Spirit. Because Jesus was among them. 
But when, and he was among them in his body. But when Jesus went back to heaven, he said the paraclete, the helper, is going to come. He's going to be just like me. But you're not going to see him because he's going to be in you. Just as Jesus had a body to function in, so now the Holy Spirit is going to have to have a body to function in. Jesus is going to have to be in the body of his people, one by one. He's going to live in Peter. He's going to live in John. He's going to live in Luke. He's going to live in the Apostle Paul. He's going to live in his disciples. Now, he's going to be to them Jesus. And he tells us in the 14th chapter that without this presence, we can do nothing. I think the modern church in America has adequately demonstrated that we can do nothing without this Holy Spirit. You may think I'm wrong, but look at the evidence. The nation is losing its Christian faith. America is becoming more and more agnostic and atheistic. It is becoming more and more involved with witchcraft and the occult. It is running after and lusting after money and sex and power. America as a Christian nation is almost dead. And yet at the same time, we have the most highly educated clergy of any time in history. They're paid bigger salaries than any time in history. They have better lifestyles. They drive nicer cars. Is there something wrong with this picture? Am I seeing it incorrectly? I don't mean to be critical, but somewhere I have to stop and say, the king doesn't have any clothes on. And we've got to begin to test ourselves and say, Is the Holy Spirit among us or not? And then we have all the kundalini craziness that's going on in the charismatic church with people jerking and rolling on the floor, barking like dogs, as happened up in the Toronto blessing. It was not a blessing. I quickly, after watching for a day, fled from that place. There was no... There was no anointing of the Holy Spirit. There was an anointing of an unholy spirit. It was filled with foolish laughing, and the top leaders in our nation in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement went there and blessed that thing. It was horrendous. I've never been so ashamed of a group of people as I was as I stood watching what was happening to these poor people as the demonic kundalini spirit swept into that place. So, what are we going to do? What's the next step? I know my heart is so hungry for Jesus. 
My heart is so hungry for Jesus. There has to be a change. There has to be the coming of the Holy Spirit in America, in Washington, D.C., in Pastor Ray Greenlee, in your pastor. There has to be a change. We're not getting the job done. And everybody knows it. Everybody can look and see and observe. And the pagans are, and they're scoffing at the church. They were constantly in prayer. They joined together, it says. Verse 14, this is Acts 1, verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. 120 people who all were gathered. Now, Peter rose up and said, we've got to replace Judas, and so they did that. But the rest of the time, they spent in prayer. And Jesus said, not many days from now, the Holy Spirit will come. Now, I want to be clear today. The Holy Spirit is still striving with men's hearts. The only reason I'm a pastor today is because the Holy Spirit kept coming and calling me and disciplining me and teaching me to wait upon Jesus, teaching me how to trust him for the finances, teaching me how to trust him for my health. The Holy Spirit is very much a part of my life. But I've not been baptized with power. And it's interesting, in the book of Luke, let me go there. I want to share something with you. Um, I'm turning to it now. I should have had it, but I didn't. Um, After the resurrection, verse 45, this is chapter 24. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness, that's aphemy, removal of sins, will be preached in his name. Today, the modern church is not even teaching the removal of sins. They say you're always going to be a sinner until you die. So they deny what Jesus very clearly said. And then he said, Repentance and forgiveness or removal of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, 
when you go to the book of Acts, They're asking Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to restore this kingdom that we've all signed up to be a part of? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and seasons, but you wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're asking for an institutional kingdom. That's what we have today in America. We have the institutional kingdom, and it's not getting the job done. He said, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. I mean, verse 6 is what I just shared with you. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power. They wanted power in the institution. He wanted to give them power in their person. And he said, wait. Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they waited in prayer. They waited in prayer. They waited in prayer. The first church waiting in prayer, not laying plans for some big youth center that they're going to build, not not planning for some institutional advancement, not waiting on some very expensive daycare center to be finished so that a profit center can be established, not building some great new church Do you understand, as these disciples were gathered in that upper room, they had no money. Remember, Peter said, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I give you. They had no money. They had the bag that Judas stole from, and they had a few donations so they could pay for the food and lodging. They were staying in the upper room, the same place where they were meeting to pray. They had no seminaries. They had no church buildings. They had no literature. They did not even have a New Testament. And probably not one person among the 120 even had a copy, a complete copy of the Old Testament. It would have been in a scroll. It would have been put away in a synagogue. Now, this group of people, unlearned, uneducated, unsophisticated, not able to talk strategy for how they're going to win the world, all they know to do is what Jesus told them to do. He said, you pray and you wait upon the Lord. You wait upon the Lord. Now, chapter 2 of Acts, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now suddenly, Jesus breathes from heaven upon them and a mighty wind blows through the house and then tongues of fire come and rest on each of them. Do you understand? They couldn't control any of this. What the church needs today is something it can't control. The church today needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. With all of his signs and wonders, with all of his speaking in tongues, that's not gibberish, that's literally different languages testifying to the glory of God. Now, in all of this, people gather, and soon a crowd comes, and and at some point I would think they moved the meeting down to the temple to the open courtyard where more people could gather. They end up with 3,000 people being converted that day to Jesus Christ. 3,000 people. In the morning, they had 120. At night, they have over 3,000. And they just counted the men. If there were women, it was already at 6,000, not counting the children. I'd call that spectacular church growth. But it all came about without their having any control of it. And here we hit the, the brick wall. We Americans don't want anything we don't have control of. We want to be in charge. We want to make things go the way we want them to go. So if somebody comes and says something in the church that we don't agree with, teaches something that's not quite acceptable to that church's doctrine, that person is shown the door. We want to be very much in charge of our institution. We want to be very much in control of what's going to go on in that institution. 3,000 people, 3,000 men, maybe 6,000, maybe 7,000 people in the first day converted to Jesus. Now, the whole city of Jerusalem is a stir and a buzz because all of these people have gone out telling about their victory and talking about what Jesus has done for them. And they, too, now are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And with boldness, they're going out and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Acts, the second chapter, verse 17. Quoting the prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, 
before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoa, they're going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved because of the power of the Holy Spirit functioning in those men and women who've been called by Jesus Christ. Men of Israel, listen to this Jesus, who's a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold of him. Till Peter preaches. And he says, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have so grieved the Holy Spirit in our day. That a man can come and wait and wait and wait. And it seems impossible that he should receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So much has to be broken in a man's heart. His hatred, his jealousy, his bitterness. He has to be totally changed into a new person. This work of repentance must be accomplished. And he must give up being in charge. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit's in charge. And he must come in and possess that man. And he now will direct his steps. He will now only speak what the Holy Spirit gives him to speak. He will only pray what the Holy Spirit gives him to pray. In the flesh, we can pray anything. We can go anywhere. We can do anything. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. It's true. Without Jesus, we can't do anything. We're incapable. My heart is sick as I look at what's happening to our nation. My heart is sick because of the powerlessness of the institutional church. My heart is sick because of the powerlessness of the individual testimony. And I bear testimony to everyone I can that Jesus is the Lord. But for the most part, that testimony is utterly rejected. But oh, do you see, if we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, suddenly everything will come alive and the church will suddenly be crowded with new believers with people hungry to know about Jesus and people hungry to be baptized in the Spirit. And suddenly the church will come alive and confront the powers of darkness in this city. It's not going to happen through institutional work. It's going to only happen by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the test that the Holy Spirit brings to us is he says, test everything you do by the test of divine love. The Holy Spirit will only flow from your heart and my heart 
in love and compassion for the lost sinner. All selfishness will have to go. All self-centeredness will have to go. All control will have to go. All love of money will have to go. All pride and anger and bitterness will have to go. All accusations and judgments will have to go. We're going to have to be made again by the Holy Spirit in righteousness and holiness. He's struggling in your heart and mind now to prepare us for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this will be accomplished through prayer, through the Word, through humbling our hearts before God. How long do we wait? Does it matter? Because we can't do anything without him that has any value for eternity. Oh, we can build great buildings and we can organize great conventions and we can produce movies. And no, I want lost souls saved for Jesus. I want lost souls who will come and know Jesus Christ and be transformed into his likeness who will leave their life of sin, who will be washed in the blood, who will be made clean by the blood. I can't do institutional church anymore. I simply can't do it anymore. I want to be with a group of people who are searching after Jesus in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want to be with a group of people who are willing to be transparent about their hearts and their lives. I want to be with a group of people who are being moved upon by the Holy Spirit to become righteous and holy before God by the power of the blood of Jesus. I don't want to ever walk into another church building and sit down and be a stranger and listen to their songs and listen to their scriptures, and go through their rituals. Listen to their preacher do a little inspirational deal or some Bible study that is insignificant for me. And then walk out and say, why did I go today? The Holy Spirit wasn't there. How many times I have led a worship service like that among thousands of people. I don't want to go there anymore. I want to pray. I want to wait upon the Lord. I want to be with brothers and sisters who are hungry to start over and let the Spirit of God rule us. I want to be with the people who have given up on the institution and are ready for something new. The institutional church can only be healed by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But they don't want the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's going to have to start somewhere else, at a grassroot level, with men and women gathering to pray 
and cry out to God and fast and travail till the Holy Spirit comes. This is the word of God to me. It's time to turn to God that our sins could be wiped out and that times of refreshing could come from the Lord. It's time to weep before Jesus and beseech him to send this precious, precious gift of the Holy Spirit to come and fill us with power, with purity. It's time to pray. Almighty God, I lift up my heart to you today. Lord, I plead your mercy on your church in America. I plead your mercy, Almighty God. Come with power. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'm on a cell phone today. I'm sorry the transmission is not very clear. I pray it's been helpful to you, though. God bless you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Christ.